Hey everyone, I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the state of our world right now. This weekend, dozens of American cities have been on fire, protesters filling the streets. Americans are tired and angry and not going to let racial injustice persist. Protesters across the country are demanding that black people no longer be the target of police brutality and an unjust system that disproportionately criminalizes and targets them. And we support them. Enough is enough. Black lives matter. When we started this program, it was to respond to a critical moment in all of our lives. Coronavirus has, overnight, transformed our world. And once again, the ground is shifting underneath us. We're here for it. Before we start today's episode, I want us to stop for a second to really think. Could you do more? Have you done enough to fight racial injustice and inequality? We promise that this show will continue to highlight the big picture issues that are impacting our world from the perspective of those who are living it. In the weeks and months ahead, as our stores, barbershops, and restaurants reopen, we will continue to bring you the stories of people who are far away, up close. Thanks for listening. I had the good fortune of attending the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea, back when I was a producer. The month I spent there was easily one of the highlights of my career. It was quite overwhelming, in a good way. Not just the thousands of fans and athletes, but also media outlets from around the world, literally every corner of the world. The building to house all of us was practically a mile long. There were moments of people from very different walks of life sharing culture and sport that I witnessed during that month that I will never forget. Like the time I was sitting with a group of South Korean event workers when a group of North Korean cheerleaders exited a bus to attend one of the games. They'd never seen a North Korean in real life before. And while it's true the event doesn't solve the many ongoing conflicts around the globe, it does, in a way, postpone them for a moment, at least inside the boundaries of the event. So, like many fans of the game, I was so sad to hear they'd been canceled. It was yet another moment when our world felt like it would never be the same. Thousands of athletes travel from around the world to compete at the highest level, not to mention their trainers, news crews, event staff. They're in close proximity to each other all the time. It made sense that the games would ultimately be canceled, but it didn't stop me from wishing they'd still go on. In particular, I thought about those athletes for whom these competitions are frequently the culminating moment of a lifetime of training and competition. It's heartbreaking. With the summer games postponed till 2021, what about those athletes who worked so hard to get there? What's their life like now? I always been like a goal-driven person. I need a purpose to train. From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. And Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're gonna bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this pandemic.
Producer John Asante has the story of an Olympic couple. Isora Tibbas and Raysom Bowden have spent every waking moment of their lives preparing to compete. Their days are planned minute by minute. They know when to train, when to eat, when to sleep. So we start our mornings off with one-on-one lessons. Uh, The afternoon, we go to the gym. And then we take our break, we nap, we have a little bit of time together, which we, you know, crave usually. And then we head back to the gym at night to do our sparring. Until March of this year, their lives have been built around one goal, one destination, the 2020 Olympics. There's something skin tingling about the idea of like walking up and seeing the rings, coming to the fencing strip and the rings being above you, that moment realizing you're there. Isora and Race are Olympic foil fencers. Race is on Team USA, and Isora, Team France. They train together, they travel together, they compete together because they are together. They're a couple. And a striking one at that. Race is 27, he's tall with short cropped orange hair. Isora, who's 28, has long brown curly hair. While their looks are contrasting, their fencing records are not. Both are quite successful fencers. They've each been to the Olympics twice. He's won bronze, and she's currently the number one fencer in France and is a favorite to take the gold in Tokyo. And while these days, this power couple fences together, they came into the sport in very different ways. Race was actually discovered, almost like a child actor in a school play. It all happened because he loved Star Wars and Samurais as a kid. I was in Atlanta. I was playing with a toy lightsaber in a park, actually. And someone came up to my parents and said, you know, he should try fencing. And my parents were like, what the hell is fencing? They had no idea what it was. And uh, they described it to me. They'd said that it was sword fighting for for fun as a sport. I tried it for the first time and, and fell in love with it. Isora got into fencing because of her family. When Isora was seven, she went to watch her brother practice, back when she lived in Guadeloupe. And I just remember um, getting in the room and um, just uh, thinking, oh my God, what is, what is this? I've never seen that before. Um, what is this? Uh, they have like these weapons and I absolutely wanted to try. And I ended up trying, loving it, and my little brother didn't, <laughs> didn't like it. So um, I just continued and never stopped uh, doing uh, fencing so far. Together, they've become unstoppable. They're like this Olympic foil fencer power couple. Pretty impressive, if you ask me. Olympians are a special breed. The sport they devote every waking hour to can be one most Americans hardly ever think of. You're not likely to find flyers or ads about Little League fencing in your neighborhood. Fencing requires speed, dexterity, precision. The objective is to move up and down a rectangular strip trying to stab your opponent in the torso while avoiding getting stabbed yourself. The training regimen is pretty rigorous. A coach watches your every move and corrects it in real time until you have the skill to dodge your opponent's jabs while executing your own. Most recently, Isora and Reis were training in Italy in a small town outside of Rome. They practice three times a day, five to six times a week. One daily workout is a one-on-one lesson. And the easiest way to describe that is like in boxing where the coach holds the pads. So it's like extreme technical work, very detailed, a lot of direct responses from your coach on how you're doing things, 
you know, the footwork positions, the timing, maybe even you're working on mistakes that you had in the last competition. So you can see how being separated from your coach would throw a wrench in things. And you can't attack and block your opponents over Zoom. Another workout is about sharpening your skills against other fencers. You become the best by testing yourself against the best. You'll have the club filled with different fencers. In Italy, it's a lot of uh, you know, the top fencers um, from Italy. And we spar and we practice. And that can take the shape of like, you know, you know, two hours. It can be three hours on some nights. Long before coronavirus postponed the 2020 Olympics, the games brought Isora and Race together. They met in Rio at the end of the 2016 games. We're in a party and it's just a camp to, to dance with me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and then we ended up like talking until uh, 6 a.m. on Copacabana Beach. And it was just like amazing because what we she's not saying is that like we were both in long relationships before that and we just happened to be ending our relationship. So it was just kind of like a moment where we were both like, oh, we like started to talk with each other. <laughs> and uh, I had definitely noticed her long before I got to speak to her. A year into dating, Isora and Race came up with a new plan. Instead of training separately, they trained together for Tokyo. And I wanted to get out of my comfort zone and like to have a challenge. And I wanted to be the best. So I was like, what can I do to be the best? She figured she could become the best by fencing Race himself. And we said like, let's try to build our own system training together and like hire a coach, like something that I've never done before. And so we learned also a lot of how to, to work together because, you know, <laughs> we don't have the same needs. Uh, we are both athletes, which is a big advantage because we understand each other, but we deal with everything. We, we are kind of like the CEO of our own system. We had to find sponsors. Like we were scheduling our training camps everywhere in the world, like... Um, and uh, managing with the French team, the American team, and uh, our own system. For the past two years, Isora and Wraith have been training in Italy during their season, flying to competitions and paying their coaches through sponsorships and modeling gigs. Yep, on top of being world-class athletes and an Olympic power couple, they're models too. They had it all figured out until a few months ago. If you want to compete in the Olympics, you can't just show up. There are a ton of competitions leading up to the Olympic Games. They're called qualifiers. Grace had just finished his second-to-last qualifier by February. That's when the ground started to shift underneath them. And they were like, oh, there's this, you know, th this business disease in China. It's getting really bad. We probably won't go to Shanghai for the World Cup. That was the thing. You know, we had a competition in Shanghai. They were like, it's not going to happen. We went, you know, a month down the line and... Things are getting worse. It started to spread. Um, by the end of February, we were hearing about it being a problem in, in Italy. In the beginning of March, fencers they knew started to fall ill. We heard about foil fencers getting sick at a training camp. And that was, the, that was where it started to touch fencing. And then we heard news that fencers at the last Epe Grand Prix had got the corona. And now we were like, oh, okay, like this is much closer than we think it is. A week later, Isora and Race traveled to Anaheim, California for their last Olympic qualifier, the final push before the Games. They stayed with their physical trainer and his wife in Los Angeles. Their competition was still on, but news starts rolling in that others were getting canceled. And then we started to hear, oh, you know, 
There's a problem with with uh, with more and more cases. Italy's completely shut down. We don't think the Italians will even be able to make it to this competition now. We're like, whoa, like a whole country won't make it to the last Olympic qualifier. That's huge. Then the Russians couldn't make it. And then we were like, okay, this is completely changing the dynamic of our season. Then the day before race's very last qualifier in the middle of a workout. Our coach came over to us and was like, hey, like the competition's canceled, the NBA's been canceled. And it was that crazy day where like everything got shut down. Like we were wearing weights and we literally dropped our weights and walked out of the fencing club. Like I had my fencing shoes on. I thought it was such, you know, we were so out of it. Like I just walked out of the club, I got in the car and we went back to the house. And then we sat all night watching the news come in. Then the flights got canceled. And all of a sudden this reality hit us that like, whoa, like this is for real. And then day by day by day, we were waking up every day in this limbo. We were like, what's going to happen? At this point, race isn't even completely qualified. The couple can't go back to Italy since the country is on lockdown. This was supposed to be a quick trip to California, not an indefinite stay. Thankfully, when Los Angeles went on lockdown, Isora and Race's trainer and his wife let them stay in their home. They had a place to shelter in place, but no way to really train. And a lot of their equipment was back in Italy. They were worried that if one of them flew back to Europe to get their stuff, they could be separated for months. Gyms were closed in LA, so there wasn't an opportunity to even find a new place to fence. During the first week of quarantine, Isora says she was very emotional about all the downtime. I really had a lot of doubts um, about it. I cried a lot. She was used to working out in the gym at least 15 times a week to win a gold medal. Now she barely left the house to take a walk. I think after that, when they said that uh, the Olympic could be postponed, I, um, I was in a weird space because I always been like a goal-driven person. I need a purpose to train. Without a structure to her days, Isora felt lost. Race took the news differently. He was actually relieved that the games were postponed. I had such a like a pressure-driven season. The honest answer for me was like, oh wow, it's a year away, like woof. And like all of a sudden all that weight is lifted because it's not so close. It's not right there in front of you. He was also relieved for another reason. It had been a hard year. At the 2019 Pan Am Games in Lima, Peru, after helping the U.S. men's foil team win gold, he took a knee on the podium during the national anthem. He felt compelled to speak out against racism, gun violence, mistreatment of immigrants, and what he saw as Trump's hate-filled rhetoric. Political demonstrations are banned at the Pan Am Games, so race got a year of probation from the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. The media spotlight was distracting and upsetting. It was a tough time just because it affected every part of my life. You know, my, my parents were getting hate letters, my phone was doxxed, and people were calling my phone. I didn't really think it through that much. It was like an in-the-moment, like, right before we went out on the podium, I just, I asked the guys on my team, I said, hey, I think I'm going to kneel. And they were like, you know, do your thing. We don't, we don't care. Isora wasn't surprised that race took a knee. She was proud of him. You always wanted to, um, to make a change in the world. I think we have that in common and I use his voice and use his platform. And I think like it really make, made a change in how we see like um, the future together because, um, yeah, I was like, yeah, this is what we want to do. We realized that we wanted to do more than, uh, than chasing yeah, a medals. As the coronavirus rapidly twisted race and Isora's lives into this new shape, another set of challenges started to bubble for them. 
They'd spent their entire adult lives and all of their life together competing. But what are they going to do when this part of their lives, the Olympic foil fencing competitor part, is over? It would have been easy to ignore this before, but now this question seemed more pressing. They also had to figure out how to keep training with limited resources during a global pandemic. Isor and Race can't work on their technical fencing skills because that coach is a world away, overseas. But they live with their trainer, who helps them stay in shape. Although that situation isn't ideal. He wakes up and he really wants to, to walk out all day. He has these crazy ideas. He wants to try new workouts and a lot of stuff. So <laughs> I'm like, Race tries everything on him. Yeah, I'm like, I'm way too happy to help him with that. Like many of us, they're making do with what they've got. It's difficult. We are walking in a garage. It's not like we don't have a gym. Yeah, we have bands. Uh, we're using like a kind of a bench. We have like, we, we, we yeah, imagine, <laughs> yeah. totally. We create, we build some kind of weights with things. Yeah. Like we, we're just trying to figure it out. You know, it's not perfect. Isor is also rethinking her goals. Of course, I'm not training for the Olympic Games, but I can work on the things I've wanted to work for a long time. So I'm like, uh, maybe I need a little cardio. So it was like making me a, a CrossFit thing. So to be really, race love to, to work on the strength, from the power thing. So they're doing a lot of like uh, power training. Isor and race aren't getting the hands-on training they know they need. The closest they get to fencing in the meantime is watching their matches on YouTube. So to work past those frustrations, they check in with their sports psychologist. We had meetings together and separately um, to, to handle it differently, but also come together because, you know, it was important for us to say that it was a team effort too. Um, and we do everything together. Through all these changes, Race and Isora started to think of themselves differently. Who might they be if not professional athletes? At home with each other, you know, like supporting each other, doing, doing tasks, being more than athletes, I think was a huge thing for us um, to step outside of our roles. Usually, they trained for three years uninterrupted before an Olympics. Now they're a year and a half out, and they don't know when they can go full tilt again. And they're weirdly kind of making peace with that. Like, if Isa had not been like, Race, you need to chill out. I would be in the gym every day. Like, I would be, like, making targets and trying to do footwork and stuff and, like, being in the, you know, the hall. And, like, she's like, Race, like, chill. Like, you have a year and a half to the next Olympic Games. Like, you're going to have plenty of time to prepare. Once everything opens up, like, you're in shape, stay in shape, we'll do workouts, but it's okay to take a breather too because we're not going to have a rest. Like, we're going to have to go again. Race is taking up photography again. Isora is finally getting around to reading a book that she's had her eye on. They're connecting with family, cooking and playing board games, volunteering at food banks in LA, and working on side projects. Their conversations have also changed during this downtime. It's no longer talking about how practice went or what to eat before a match. They daydream about what life after fencing looks like. We talk about the news, we talk about what we want to do, who we want to be, what jobs we want to have, what are some of our interests. And Because it's impossible to really take action on any of those things right now. I've been trying to help my island in Guadeloupe because the hospital was burned like three years ago and I thought that it would be a difficult situation for them. And so I thought about them a lot. We're just doing things like that. When you live for the games, that's all you can see on the horizon. But now, Race is thinking about what might be next after fencing. And Isora is thinking about giving back to her home country. It feels like this downtime gave them both the chance to think about their life after the Olympics. 
about who they'll be when they're no longer fencers. Time to think about who they want to be once they aren't metal chasing. Special thanks to Race and Isora for sharing their story. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Every week, we receive emails, private messages on Twitter, posts on Facebook from listeners telling us what your lives are like and what you're going through. At the end of every episode, we're going to share them with you here. We recently talked to Sydney and Rob in Berkeley, California. Rob is making breakfast, and he is really good at making breakfast. <laughs> He's in the middle of making this dish called Eggs Berkeley which is where he's from. It's a creation that consists of Swiss chard and eggs and cheese and tomatoes. No, not tomatoes, onions. And when we have gone to New York to visit my family, he's made this for my family and they really like it and they like it so much that they have made their own version called Eggs Brooklyn. And so as we are sheltering in place on the West Coast and they're back East, the fact that we can make Eggs Berkeley and they can make Eggs Brooklyn does make me feel a little bit more connected. Thanks to Sydney and Rob for sharing your breakfast with us. You can send us a voice memo of what your life sounds like to pitches at neonhum.com. Telescope is made possible by the world-class team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. John Asante is the managing producer of Telescope. He's also reported and produced today's episode. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis and Vikram Patel. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear on this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. You can also join our Facebook group by searching for Telescope. If you like the show, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We want to stay connected with you during this unprecedented time in our history, so please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. If you have a story of life in isolation because of the coronavirus you want to share with us, email us at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Thank you, and we'll see you on Wednesday. 